In this podcast, Wayne Bruce talks to Shelley Park, Chief Executive of Southern Health. Shelley, uh, can I ask you to start off with where you see the healthcare industry heading, let's say, over the next five years? Um, look, I think it's going to head in, the, in a lot of the same directions that it's heading. Te- new technologies is going to continue to be something of interest and, and that we need to keep abreast of. Um, populations are growing, but also the economic environment. I mean, that, that's also going to dictate how um, healthcare goes forward because of the available dollar. Saying that, I think, um, within public health, we're just going to keep being focused very much on the delivery of public health care and ensuring that we um, meet the needs. We've had the examples recently of swine flu, which has, has brought new challenges. And so I think we're going to see some more evidence of, of, of some new and emerging disease as well. Um, but again, you know, the industry will keep responding to that. I think research will continue to be a real focus and will change some of the way that we deliver care. And um, what I'd be very hopeful of is that we actually um, keep engaging very, very widely with primary sector and, and finding new ways that we can actually keep people out of hospitals. And what do you see the major issues facing Southern Health at the moment? We're in an area where we've got a growing population and we have a, a large amount of ethnic diversity. So what that gives us a challenge of is, is finding all of the people that can um, act as interpreters so that we can ensure that people get the correct information about um, their illnesses or their health challenges. Um, and what we're finding is um, there's more and more new languages coming into Australia and there isn't always interpreters available. So that's certainly one of our challenges. The number of patients that um, keep coming into our services, I think sometimes success actually breeds success and, and what we're seeing is more and more people being referred to Southern, which is excellent because we, you know, we have built a, a, an incredibly strong clinical team, really strong clinical leaders delivering really, really good clinical care and what we see is the patient numbers are actually increasing and coming as a result of that. So I think you know, some of, some of our, our major issues are around delivering all of the, the health care within the available resources, something of which we're really, really focused on, remaining within our budget and delivering that care and keeping up with the, the ever-changing changes in technology. So a little bit linked to, to my answer to the first question, really. And Southern Health is the largest public health care service in Australia. Does that size give you particular advantages or disadvantages? Look, I, I think it gives us advantages, and not only because of our size, but also because we actually provide health care from pre-birth through until death, so we, we cover every range. The fact that we've got links um, with community as well, and we actually deliver some community services, um, I, I think gives us, us great advantages. So we can actually look at the whole care continuum, and we can actually refocus that to ensure that we actually need um, patients' needs. And a really good example of how we've done that is in general medicine over the last year, led by one of our clinicians, um, we've totally refocused the way that we deliver that care, and we've been able to do that because we're actually responsible for that that whole episode of care. Um, We have um, aged care services as well, so what we're looking at at the moment is linking that in. So I think it actually brings us huge advantages. There's a slight disadvantage as in I don't know every one of my staff members' names and that would be lovely but with you know about 12,500 staff that's impossible. Um, but it also gives us the opportunity of, of, of attracting people who want to work in a large organisation and are really, really committed to getting teams working and we can actually develop a lot of people up so that they can keep moving through their health career and that's at both clinical and management levels. And you've uh, you spent you know the majority of your career in New Zealand. What do you see as perhaps the differences and the similarities between 
the systems in Australia and New Zealand? And the second part of that question is, do you see that either system is better at certain aspects of delivery? Look, I think that 95% of the time, um, I've been in Australia for, what, three and a half years now, 95% of the time I could either be sitting in Australia or New Zealand with what I deal with. We all talk about budgets, we all talk about accountability, we all talk about patient flow, we all talk about how we um, can get more patients access to services, we all talk about some of the same things. I think some of the KPIs here in Australia are different to what I experienced in New Zealand. Um, and in New Zealand, within the health services, the fact that they actually, the chief executive holds the whole budget for, for the region um, is something that's of difference. So I, I think there's some positives and negatives in, in both services. But what I would say is I think um, looking around the world, both Australia and New Zealand, I believe, run very, very good public health services. So, so what I try and do is bring the best of what I've seen in New Zealand into the Australian environment as well. And there's also the best of what I've seen within the Australian environment and try and merge the two together. And, and as you say, in New Zealand it covers sort of holistically the whole, you know, primary care, acute and um, extended or community care. Does the funding system in New Zealand help the integrated model of care more? Or is that achievable in Australia, do you think? Look, I actually believe that it's achievable in Australia. I, I don't totally buy into the concept that you have to hold the funding to get the integration. I actually think integration is a lot around um, working with other people and developing the relationships to get that. Certainly if you hold the funding and can direct it, that's one way of doing it, but I don't see that as the only way. So a really good example of us is um, with the swine flu, we actually um, needed to get community clinics up and running really, really quickly to actually deal with the numbers. We wanted um, people that, that, that were diagnosed or, or expected to have um, swine flu to stay out of the emergency department. So we actually liaised with the local general practices in Dandenong and we're really lucky because we have a good relationship there. And within eight hours we had our first community clinic opened that we had agreed with the GPs. Now that, that's a great example of integration mm. um, and, and integration working at its best. However, I don't hold the funds for the GPs, the GPs don't hold the funds for the hospital, but it was something that we were really focused on and we got up and running really quickly. What do you see as the key issues facing the public health system in attracting and retaining talent at the senior levels? I think that we haven't always been that good at marketing what we do. I think that one of our challenges is ensuring that staff continue to actually develop in their roles and, and get the development that they need. Saying that I haven't seen an issue with retention and we've had very little turnover, we have had some turnover at executive and, and senior leadership teams and, and we're incredibly lucky we're attracting really, really high calibre staff when we have vacancies at those senior levels. So I suppose it's, it, it's about success, you know, ensuring that organisations are successful, ensuring that the culture actually fits for the executive. So one of the things that I'm um, really focused on is work-life balance, so that I don't expect my execs to be here and senior leaders to be here all hours of the day and night. And, and what I often do last night was a really good example. I was leaving work at about six o'clock there was one other exec's car in the car park. I knew that person's car was in the car park, the first car in the car park of the day. So just gave him a call to 
check why he wasn't you know leaving and what we could do to help and that's not because I actually sit on the back of my seats but I actually believe that work-life balance is really really important mm. so I think one of the things is um, with retaining and retracting people is ensuring that the culture of the organization is a really really good fit for those execs but also being really clear of what your culture is it was really interesting when I was in the States recently, um, there was a really good article in the New York Times with a private company chief executive and what he talked about is when he's actually interviewing people these days, he gets the recruitment companies to identify who's got the really good skill set and then what his interview is all about is that cultural fit and organisational value fit and he's found that that has actually really helped him to retain and, and keep his, his executive team. And it's something that we're doing a little bit more at Southern now as a result of that mm -hmm. as well. And we've used it very recently and, and found it worked really, really well with the um, recruitment of our new Executive Director of Nursing. What are the competencies that you think are essential for today's senior people in health? And I'd like to break that up into two broad sure. categories, one being healthcare executives and the second being clinical leaders. So if we start with healthcare executives, I, th I think that it's incredibly important that people understand accountability and I don't think that always needs to be within healthcare, so accountability is something that people need to be really, really, um, have a really good understanding on. Obviously communication is also something that's really, really important um, and then it, it depends on, on what area um, of the organisation the person's leading as to what some of those other skill sets are. Um, for me, in areas such as nursing, medicine, allied health, it's imperative that people actually come through the health organisation. But in areas such as human resources, I think that there's some real value sometimes of bringing external corporate thought processes into health and integrating the best of, uh, of the private sector and the public sector into delivery. And again, we've had some really, really good success in doing that. For example, with our Executive Director of Human Resources, she came from the private sector, um, has brought some really critical thinking in. One of the challenges in that area is the difference that you pay in the public sector to the private sector, so you actually have to be able to find some, some ways of, of attracting people in. I think the other thing is is people need to be innovative because within public health you can't always achieve what you're needing to achieve and you have to find different ways of doing that. You don't always have the available dollar that you're needing so again you have to find different ways of doing that and juggling. So, so somebody who's prepared to juggle challenges, to have their fingers in many, many pies um, and to respond to things as they're happening. So, um, and, and then the other thing I'd, I'd put in there as I um, mentioned earlier is the value sets in, in the culture and really motivated to taking people forward with them but also to motivating people to continue to work in, in what can be a really challenging environment. And do you see those competencies apply to clinical leaders equally or do you think there's yeah. slight differences? Look I, th I think they do, um, largely I, I think they do. Um, again we're looking at our clinical leaders around, around values and fits and we've had some um, tremendous success and we're incredibly lucky with the clinical leaders that we've got here. And, and people have to be able to communicate and take their teams with them. They have to make the hard decisions and be prepared to do that. Um, and what we've also done within the last two years is um, the medical leaders in particular, the nurses did have always held their budget, but within the area of medicine they didn't necessarily. So we've actually asked them to hold their budgets and what we're finding is the accountability there and, and the work there is, is really, really impressive. Um, not every doctor likes holding their budgets, but, but a number of them are really enjoying doing that and finding that they can actually manipulate their own budget environment to help them deliver what they're needing to deliver. 
they obviously as clinical leaders they need to absolutely understand their clinical field as well um, and have the respect of their colleagues or be able to gain that respect um, and they need to be fantastic role models really really committed to developing junior staff which is something that we're focusing on more and more we're looking at the moment as to how we can become a, a true teaching learning organization all well, the clinical leaders have an absolute role in that as well and and buy-in and the passion for the organizations and health as the clinical leaders is, is really really important as it is with the healthcare executives mm. um, so innovative dynamic all of those sorts of things is something mm. that we really do look for Shelley, one final question in closing. If you were giving some advice to a, a, an early to mid-career health manager that was you know, aspiring to uh, climb up the sort of career ladder, if you like, what would be your advice to them? Um, get a really strong mentor. I, I think when um, I was in my middle of the health career, I don't think I actually totally understood the value of a, of a really good mentor and how they can actually not only help you reframe and rethink some of your thinking but also create pathways for you that you don't always know are being created. Um, I think take up every challenge that's offered to you and put yourself out there to find them. Take some risks around your career, sometimes we're a little bit dubious to do that but, but taking risks and, and trying areas outside of your comfort zone I think just keeps building your experience make some mistakes I think when people actually go through and never make mistakes you don't actually get that really good learning but you also don't grow to the same extent that you can um, and find some really really good developmental opportunities um, doing things some of the different programs that that you don't necessarily think you might need need to really challenge that skill set but sometimes you do and get that advice and feedback from others as to what you can do and how you can continue to grow because everyone will see your skill set slightly differently and um, getting some of that feedback from a range of people can be incredibly valuable to, to help um, continue to build your own skill set. Mm. But um, And the other thing that I'd say to somebody at that level is um, health's a fantastic field to work in mm. and um, keep going there. Don't listen to the people mm. that um, that say, you know, look at other fields because health is a, is a fantastic field to work in. It's a really valuable field. It's a really rewarding field. And um, just be prepared to be a tall poppy, get out there and do it. That's great. I think that's an appropriate note on which to close our interview. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Wayne.